well with, t- with next week being our big Christmas celebration. Uh, and uh, we're coming to the end of the book of Philippians that we've been working our way through for the last seven weeks or so. Uh, excuse me. <clears throat> this is our uh, concluding message of the series. Um, we have been, the series we've called uh, Finding Joy. Um, where the way we've kind of set it up is this. You know, we live in the Silicon Valley where as a culture we tend to project ourselves as we've got it all together. You know, we've got it, you know, on the inside where everything's okay. But the fact of the matter is you don't have to dig all that deep to find out that uh, oftentimes that's just not the case. Often there's just a lack of joy. And that's not just out there in the culture, but that often also happens in the church. And so Paul has been writing this letter uh, to, the, to the Philippian church back in about 61 A.D., and he's, he's saying throughout the whole thing, rejoice, have joy. There's joy to be found in all sorts of scenarios and in, in a variety of different ways. So we've been going through this. The first week, chapter one, we looked at joy in God's people. Uh, we had a little bit of fun with that. How could you have joy in Christians, some of you might think or have experienced? Um, hopefully for most of you, it's been the case to current, like, hey, you know, Christians are not that bad. You know, hey, this, this is good. It works out here. But Paul wasn't talking about that when he opened his letter. He was talking about folks who weren't necessarily with, inside his own fellowship or in the fellowship of the Philippian church, but folks who were out there, uh, uh, Christians out there doing things differently and with maybe not the best of motivations. He didn't say, let's condone bad behavior, but he said, look... It, Find the good in it. Find, understand that God's doing good things in other Christians. And, and when you see that, there's joy there. I, we talked about the second week, joy in the face of death. Uh, this was one of my favorite uh, texts of Scripture. Paul comes out saying, uh, uh, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. You know, that, that idea of it's great advantage when we are in Christ, even to die and my whole thinking is, man, the letter could have just ended right there. I mean, if we could have joy in the face of death, my goodness. I talk about other things and what, what we face and the joy. But he continues. He talks about the joy and humility we looked at. And we talked about how humility is a key ingredient for unity, for, for the life-giving relationships that we really deep down want. But are often, we, we often create obstacles to those sorts of relationships uh, in our own pride, in our own selfish ambition, vain conceit. As he said, he said, live in, in humility towards others. And we looked at the joy in Christian living, in working out our salvation, in putting our faith into practice. If you're a believer in Christ, as you do that, you'll find joy there. And for instance, he talked about one place. He said, do not complain. Do not grumble or argue about anything, and you will shine like stars. Which I've been thinking about that a little bit more this week, just kind of in, in passing. It's amazing to me that how relevant that is today in the 21st century. We, we can tend to complain about a lot of things, can we not? And yet it was relevant to the first century church there in Philippi, as relevant, we looked at one point in that, in that sermon, 2,000 years before the Philippian church in, in Exodus when the, all the Israelites walked around the, in, the Israel, in the desert complaining and grumbling. Uh, he said, you will shine like stars. You will, you will feel joy, and that joy will be spent, uh, shared with others. And then we looked at uh, joy in being second, That was, if you were here, when we looked at the the examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus, these guys who are known in the Philippian church. Timothy, this guy whose whole bent was living for others. Epaphroditus, this guy who just was doing the -the behind-the-scenes work that normally we don't think is super glamorous, but Paul's like, man, if if we commit to that, there's joy to be found there. And then last week, we looked at joy and generosity. Uh, I skipped a little ahead in the letter, um, just kind of in in conjunction with our impact uh, initiative uh, launch. Um, but, but Paul was there talking about, man, there's so, like, we don't just give because it's a good thing, it's a right thing to do, but there's joy there, and we talked about that. All of, all of which you can find online if you're interested in, in looking 
up at uh, any of these uh, uh, thoughts or messages uh, further. You can check it out there. But that brings us now to kind of where Paul has been heading in this whole letter in terms of the content. He's summar- Today is basically a summary of the whole letter. Um, we've been looking at joy in all these different circumstances, and now he says there's joy in all circumstances. There's joy in it. He just kind of, this is the summary of the letter. There's in every way we can have joy. And he comes out in verse 4 really swinging. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Here's what I love about Paul. Uh, and we've mentioned this kind of in passing along the way. Uh, Paul's words are worth listening to. Uh, there's power behind them. They're not empty words on paper. Um, he was living in a dark, dank dungeon, as we've talked about, uh, awaiting trial for, uh, uh, to which, for all he knew, he was probably going to be executed. And yet he's like just exuding joy. You can rejoice. I remember reading a, a book in college, uh, a book called The Cost of Discipleship. It's a, uh, it's, it's a Christian book that I'd recommend. Uh, it's, 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 well, it's well written. It's written by this guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And the whole, the whole gist of the book is, man, this is what God's done for us, and this is what it means to follow him and take it seriously in terms of what he's done and what that means for us. Um, it's really well articulate and all, all that sort of stuff. But you know what's amazing is I recently read a biography on Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and oh my goodness, this book that I read in the past has just come to life in new meaning. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if you know anything about him, he, had a li- he, he was born into a life of privilege. I mean, in, in terms of his intellect, in terms of like networking, in terms of wealth, all that sort of stuff. He gave it up in the earlier part of his life to go into ministry. That's just where he felt like, hey, this is where I want to use my life for good things. But most important, or most notably, I should say, is towards the end of the li- his life, he was living in Germany when the Nazis came to power. And when all of his family and friends, including Christians, family and friends, were fleeing to get out of town, he stayed for the very purpose of standing in the way of injustice. And what ends up happening is he's put in jail and he's actually executed, uh, I want to say, just a couple of weeks or months before, at, at the very end of the war. Uh, real tragic, but you go back and you read a text like The Cost of Discipleship, which she wrote, and you're like, oh my goodness. The words just kind of pierce in a way that's a little bit more powerful. I mention all of that to say is that's what we have with Paul's words here. He's not just saying, hey, you know what? Frown upside down, you know, feel better, smile a little bit. If there's somebody who can relate to trouble, to hard circumstances, it's Paul. And what does he say? Rejoice in the Lord always. In fact, he repeats himself, which I, I, I go to think, that he, I imagine myself uh, being in that Philippian church when that letter was read for the first time. Uh, and Paul was like, you know, thinking about this letter being read to that church the first time. And Paul had to repeat himself because he figured, hey, you in the back, you who's thinking, maybe not my circumstance. <laughs> like, maybe my circumstance, I can't have joy. Come on, Paul. Paul's like, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And lest he be misunderstood, in verse 6, he says, do not be anxious about anything. Anything. There's joy to be found in everything, which is so amazing because are you facing something that you're anxious about today? Are you facing something that you have fear about or you are worried about? Maybe it's something that you're facing, you know, right here now. Maybe it's something you're facing that's coming up. Maybe it's something you've been facing for a long time. Paul, I would say, has some credibility to speak into that. 
And we're going to look at that as we work through it. And he shows us here, as we talk about joy in all circumstances, two very practical thoughts. Two very practical thoughts. But here's what I want you to notice as we, as we go through. These are two very practical thoughts that we can start working on today. But the point is not snap your fingers. You do these things, snap your fingers, and hey, joy. Uh, sometimes that might be the case. But his, his, his bigger gist here as we look at this letter is two practical things that point us in the direction of, in the life process towards joy. So as we conclu- conclude this letter, how can we have joy in all things? First thought, pray in every situation with thanksgiving. This is verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, here's what I want us to notice right off the bat. Here's what Paul is not saying. You know, uh, pray in every situation with thanksgiving, and you're going to get everything you asked for. Exactly how you would script it. And by the way, in the timing that you'd like it, which I think a lot of us, frankly, myself included, we'd, we'd prefer it say that, right? That's not what it says. The promise is, pray in every situation with thanksgiving, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Again, this is something Paul knew through and through to the core of his bones. Uh, Paul was writing in a dungeon in Rome, as we've mentioned. Four years earlier, he had written another letter while he was in freedom, living in a place called Corinth, uh, modern-day Greece. Uh, Living in Corinth, he wrote four years earlier a letter to Rome, which is where he is by the time of writing Philippians. You following me here? So four years earlier, he had written to Rome, anticipating that he was going to go to Rome. He knew he was going to travel through Jerusalem, but he was ultimately going to go to Rome. And in that letter to the Romans, at the very end of it, you can even look at this if you want, chapter 15, verse 31, he asks them, hey, guys, would you pray for me? Roman church, as I'm getting ready to set out towards you guys, would you pray for me? And he, gives, he has three prayer requests. He says, pray that I'd be kept safe from opposition in Jerusalem as I pass through there. Pray that, that uh, I would be uh, favorably received there. And then number three, pray that uh, when I come to visit you, Rome, I'll come with joy. None of these things happened the way he had hoped for. Uh, he was arrested and imprisoned in Jerusalem. Uh, and then for all that we can tell, there was no sign of positive reception for him in Jerusalem, including from the churches, by the way. And he came to Rome, Rome all right, but it was in chains. Uh, there was only one thing, and this is why we're talking about this here, uh, that did happen. And he's, even though it wasn't the circumstances he had hoped for, he did arrive in Rome with joy. And not just a little bit of joy, immeasurable joy. He could write a letter like Philippians saying we can rejoice in all things. Pray in every si- uh, situation with thanksgiving, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. My dad's a pastor, and so I've learned just a ton from him. Um, obviously. And I remember uh, just growing up and just watching him and being with him and even experiencing this myself. Like when people would come to him with different things that they were struggling with or trying to work through or thinking, hey, what might God say to, say to me in this situation? Struggles, whatever it might be, uh, he would almost always say, have you thought about praying about it? Have you, have you been praying about it? Uh, I, I, like I said, I would do this and he'd say, hey, what, what, have you prayed about it, David? And I remember almost always the response was, and including for myself, was, oh, maybe not. Or maybe not as much as I probably would think I should and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then he'd pray, 
and it wouldn't necessarily be a super eloquent prayer or anything like that. He just said, okay, well, let's just pray right now then. And almost every single time, there would be some sort of peace that would start to enter. It's not like the situation was solved that they were facing or mine was facing. I mean, right? But there would be some sort of trans. People would just, there would be peace. There's, there's power in prayer. That's not to say that prayer is this like magical trick and that's how you're going to feel the prayer. It's a process. It points us toward, it's, it's, it's the step towards receiving the peace of God. Uh, low-hanging fruit, are you praying? I, I, had, I, had a, I have a, a buddy, and I'm not going to go into the details here, but it's going through something really hard right now. Just really, I mean, in terms of the, the things that we face, it's up there at the top in terms of how hard it is, what he's facing about. He was telling me how, how the pain that, uh, that he's facing, uh, the, the sorrow, he was, he's just mourning. Um, and then there was a prayer. In the prayer, again, not, nothing super eloquent or anything, but just saying, God, you, you know the situation better than we do. You have us in your hands. You feel the pain more than we feel the pain, and yet you love, you care, you're watching. Would you give the peace was in this prayer. And after the prayer, after amen was said, there was tears in eyes, and there were smiles on mouths, which I thought was such a beautiful picture of what Paul is actually talking about here. The tears on the face. It's not like the pain, you know, everything was just array, everything was gone, that there was no more pain or suffering there. And yet there was a peace there. There was something that had happened for my buddy. Um, pray, prayer moves us in that direction. Um, uh, are you praying? And then here's another, oh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I have a buddy I just kind of help make it stick, and this is kind of the thing that helps me think about this. Um, I have a buddy who works in IT at Google, and he wears that classic shirt, well, have you tried rebooting? I mean, he literally, I would love to, I know a lot of you guys work at Google. I mean, like, seriously, like, this dude's showing up in your office, big like, shut up, man. He's like, walk out. Um, I don't know. That's what I vision. But he, like, he wears this, have you tried, I mean, have you tried praying? Or but maybe a better example, like, we have, we have phones that give us notifications from time to time right? They give a little buzz or they give a little like a little chirp or whatever. If you are especially prone, I don't know what the word is, uh, anxious, you find yourself being anxious a lot, let that be a reminder to pray. Let that lead you to prayer. Are you around somebody who maybe there is a lot of fear? You could be praying for them. And if they're a follower of Jesus, you could be asked, have you prayed about this? Are you praying with thanksgiving? It says, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Are you praying with thanksgiving? You know, you know why this seems uh, worth highlighting to me? Is if, if you're like me, I think oftentimes what we can do in our prayers is just put the, the, the requests in front of God. Right? And just kind of like focus on that. But he's saying here, uh, bring the request. That's good. But in, in all things, be thankful. Um, why? Because there's always something to be thankful for. I mentioned this at the top, but if we can have joy even in the face of death, if we can, have, if we can be thankful even in the face of death in Jesus, uh, I think that there would be ways that we could be thankful in, in every other situation. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of acronyms, um, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show one here now. Uh, and the only reason I mention it is I think it's helpful. I don't know what uh, pastor or what um, Christian author or whatever, wh- whoever came up with this. Um, but it's kind of a, a biblical framework for praying. Some of you have probably heard about this, especially if you've grown up in the church. Um, it's called ACTS. And what it stands for, you can see it here, is adoration, which basically means praise, worship. Uh, confession, which that's straightforward. Uh, you know, how, how we've not hit the mark in terms of what God calls us into, the good things. And uh, thanksgiving. Uh, and supplication, supplication is just another word for uh, requests. 
Um, it's fascinating to me if you look at all the prayers in the Bible, the vast majority of them, and there's just prayer after prayer in the Psalms written by the ancient King David, um, they are almost always A-C-T with a little bit of S. I think most of my prayers are just, I mean, just, just you know, I sound like a snake. Um, this last week in our current small groups, we were looking at uh, King David and all the Israelites a thousand years before Christ uh, bringing together gifts to give uh, to the building of the temple. And the, all the gifts come in, and there's just a huge wave of generosity. It just floors David. He just moved to prayer and prays. And we looked at this prayer, and the vast majority of this prayer, if you were there, you know, was, first of all, adoration. God, you're amazing. You, you've created the heavens and the earth. That's adoration. And then there's confession in there. Who are we that we could be a part of this? You know, we're like the shadow, he says at one point. He's like, who are we? That's, that's confession. Thanksgiving. Thank you, David says, that we get to give from what you've given us. Uh, so much of the prayer is, acts, is are you thankful? Because here's what I think is so helpful about coming to God, yes, and co- but coming to him with also with thanksgiving is it, it reminds us that the most important thing are, is not the circumstances we face, but it's the one who is with us in the circumstances. Circumstances, hard trials, all that, they're, they're going to be present in this life. That's just a part of the deal. But the one who is constant, who will always be there, being thankful helps us remember him. And for that matter, honor him. Uh, being thankful, praying, bring our, our prayer requests to him. And then it says, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds. I love this thought, the peace of God. It doesn't just say, and peace will be with you. It's not some abstract, abstract thought. He's saying the peace of God. We get a peace of God. It's part of who he is. There's a calm, there's a serenity that comes with, the, is part of the character of, of God and who he is. And when we pray, we, we are invited into that peace, that joy. Uh, we, we, we started up some, uh, our all-church uh, prayer gatherings uh, recently. We're going to do another one uh, coming up in the new year. Um, and I just remember, we got together in a circle. I don't really remember. Well, I remember a little bit about what we prayed because I prepared. Here, let's pray about this. But what I really remember is just how much peace was in that room as we all just prayed in a circle and we just thought about things. You could just feel it. And it transcends our understanding. I mean, by definition, I can't really explain it. But if you've ever experienced it, if you've ever experienced, you know that, oh, my goodness, there's something beyond just a, 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 an abstract peace. It's, it's, you feel the presence of God. And then I'll also say this. If you have never uh, experienced this, I think part of what the deal is with, with him calling out the fact that it transcends understanding is it has to be experienced. Reach out to God. Try, hey, God, even if you're there, would you, would you give this to me? See what happens. Uh, the peace of God, the joy of God, is, is the opposite of anxiety. God himself is not beset with anxieties. He knows the end from the beginning. He holds all circumstances in his hands. And when we pray to him in this way, we trust him, he gives us his peace that will guard our hearts and minds against anxious thoughts. That's the promise. Pray. Number two, verses eight through nine, uh, focus on the good, these godly virtues that he lists here. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So here are all these wonderful virtues, right? Then he has two thoughts that he kind of 
that we'll unpack here briefly in a, in a minute. He says, think about them. He says, put them into practice. But first again, let's notice what he's not saying, okay? Because I think this is interesting. I think this might be helpful uh, for some of us here. He's not saying, finally, brothers and sisters, in terms of this peace, in terms of this joy that's available, avoid doing bad things. You know, stop doing the, the horrible things. He's not saying, don't be impure. He's saying, be pure, um, which I think is interesting because the Bible has a lot to say about not doing bad things. Paul himself writes a number of lists in other letters where he says, hey, don't do these things. The Bible teaches it as much as our grandparents teach us not to do bad things because we intuitively know not doing bad things helps us in terms of our joy. Destructive habits, uh, not the most helpful character traits, living selfish, these sorts of things we intu- intuitively know can rob us of our joy. Um, Paul, that's good. That's important. Uh, But we need to not just focus on not doing the bad things, but we need to focus on the good things. I think some of you might need to hear this because some of you, and maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, if you really think about it, the the real posture, the real way you've kind of uh, been walking out your faith has been mainly from the perspective of not doing bad things. You following me? It's the, the, the main focus in your life has been, I just got to avoid, I got to not do, and oh, I did, oh, you following me? Now, that's good. We need to do that. We need to receive God's grace in that. You need to know that God forgives us, loves us. We need to step out of that, but that's half the deal. The other half, which I think we so often miss, is God calls us not just to step out of things, but into wonderful things. He calls us to step into and so much of us, is, we're just, look, if you only ever live on this realm of things, again, you, it's, you need to not, we need to not do bad things, and there's, there's forgiveness and love and joy that comes out of that, but there's also, if it's, if it's only, especially if we go off the deep end, there's guilt, shame, but God's saying, step not just out of things, but into these things that are wonderful. Um, focus on these uh, and I, I don't want to do an extensive word study here, uh, number one, just for the sake of time, but also they're pretty straightforward. But here's the list he gives. Uh, whatever is true, you know, that just basically is a sense of something that's valid, reliable, and honest. Whatever's notable, that's the quality that means worthy of respect. Uh, whatever's right, you know, refers to upright or, or just. Pure uh, emphasizes moral purity. Lovely occurs only here in the New Testament. That is the scriptures about Jesus and, and, and after. Um, only occurs here, but it relates to what is pleasing. And then admirable, uh, pleasing, agreeable, and amiable. Uh, admirable uh, occurs only here in the whole Bible, actually. And it de- denotes what is praiseworthy, attractive, and what rings true to the highest standards. And I love how he just kind of captures all of it here at the end. He says, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, just discern it on your own. You have the freedom. You have the, you have the mind to figure this out. Think about such things. Uh, that word there is ponder, to meditate, just to kind of take it in and hold it captive in your thoughts. Because Paul knows that if we center our minds on such things like these, there's joy to be had. Uh, it makes me think of uh, Psalm 1, the very first psalm written by King David, at least chronologically in the Bible. Um, it says, blessed is the one who meditates on God's word, essentially, day and night, for they are like the tree planted by streams of living water uh, and yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Uh, I think that's in line with what Paul is saying here, and I think the the, uh, the illustration, the analogy is really helpful. It's like a tree. 
that puts down its roots. When you think about, you know, avoiding bad things, but in the promises and the good things that God calls us into, as we do that, there's joy to be had. And it's not something that, you know, you just snap your fingers. You know, trees, you can't just snap your leaves, whatever, and then have fruit. Um, you have to be by the water. And trees also know a good deal about being able to withstand hard seasons, seasons where they're just getting pounded, or they go with a long drought. Trees are able to kind of hang, and then in good time, fruit is, pr- is produced. Paul is saying when you, when you think about these things, you will be, you'll be moving towards joy. Um, I, you know, I've, I've, I've kind of fallen out of this practice. Um, need to get back into it. But, I, you know, there's been a, a number of seasons in my life where I've kind of m- memorized Scripture, and, just, and it helps me just kind of meditate on it. And the practical use of that has been, there's a season where I'm going through really hard things, and I'm waking up in the middle of the night, but I have something to think about that is good and helpful, and boy, does that lead me away from anxiety and fear and trouble. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Oh, yeah. Meditating on letting just kind of fill our hearts. There's something about thinking, pondering, meditating, which I think is a practice we don't, frankly, utilize that much uh, nowadays, that Paul invites us into. And there's joy. There's peace there. Verse 9, he says, put it into practice. You know, we're coming to the time of year uh, when we, you know, we're making New Year's resolution. We're thinking about things like physical fitness. And I think about, you know, in the the same way that we put a lot of thought into our workout that we're going to do and into what we're going to eat, and not eat, and all that sort of thing. I think Paul is saying, hey, do these sorts of things. Have this kind of mindset and putting things into practice, these wonderful things that God calls us into. Uh, Give it some thought. Put it into practice. Step into those things, starting with the small ways, and and as it grows, it'll it'll lead into the bigger ones. Whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Put it into practice. And the God of peace is a promise. Here's the promise. We'll be with you. Now, I love this. If you, if you noticed, verse 7, we talked about this earlier, last point. We get the peace of God, but now here in verse 9 it says, and we get the God of peace. You see that little flip? Uh, we, get, we get both. The, the promises, the peace of God, and the God of peace himself will be ours. Um, there's joy to be had in all circumstances. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. I was thinking about this one a little bit. Uh, you know, I'm like, come on, Paul. Like, are you, are you kind of like high on yourself here? Like, what's, what's it up with, you know, calling people to do what you do? And then I just realized, oh, my goodness, I know what he's doing. He's doing what he's done everywhere in this whole book and in all the other books. And then I found a commentator who basically said the same thing. I was like, sweet, okay, this is, this is what's going on here. So the, here's what the, the, the commentator wrote. Paul had the integrity to present himself as an example of all these things to the Philippians. He really could say, and here it is, follow me as I follow Jesus. This is all about Jesus. The book of Philippians is all about Jesus. Joy is all, to the extent that God's talking about here, is all because of Jesus. He started this whole thing by saying, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. He didn't just say rejoice that rejoice in the Lord. We can do these things. We have these things available to us because of Jesus. Here's how this works. We can have joy in every and any circumstance because Jesus on the cross faced the only thing that could rob us entirely of our joy. That's the good news of Jesus. 
He faced the only thing that could rob us of our joy, separation, eternal separation from God. God called us, here's the point of the Bible, God called us into these wonderful things from day one. Whatever's good, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right. In the Garden of Eden, he said, here are the wonderful things that I call you into. And basically, how the story goes, we said, hey, that's sort of nice, but no, not really. I want my own thing too. I'll take a little bit of that good, noble, but I'm going to take my own thing over here. And selfishness creeped in. Pride creeped in. All these things we've been talking about, this whole letter. And so we were separated from what God called us into. We were separated from him who is good, who is right, who is pure in all these things. Jesus faced on the cross the only thing that could rob us from our joy. And here's what blows me away about how Jesus went about doing it. Perhaps my favorite verse in the Bible is Hebrews 12, 2. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, which you want to talk about, you know, the, the idea of posturing ourselves in prayer and posturing ourselves and focusing on what's good and what's right. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, that, that about sums it up, who, the, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Jesus, in going to the cross and dealing with the only thing that could truly rob us from our, 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 our joy, did it joyfully, even though he lost his joy in the very process. Why? So that we could gain joy. That is the story not only of Philippians, but of the Bible. We can rejoice in the Lord always. It's a peace that transcends understanding. If you're here today and you've never received the joy that is in Jesus, life in his name, that is it. It's receiving what he has done on the cross for you. Dying for your sins after living the perfect life and dying the death that you and I deserve, that when we believe in him, that we receive him, we have life in his name. And that life transfers to joy. You can receive that today by putting your faith in him. But if you have put your faith in him, there's also the invitation here to receive this joy tangibly here and now. Even in the struggle, even in the life circumstances that might be incredibly hard for you, maybe in their intensity, maybe in the length of duration. God's saying, you know what, there's a peace available to you, there's a life direction, a posture. And here's what I love about the text that we just had. You know, it says, here are some practical ways, pray about it, focus on it, but it's a process. I mean, why else would would Paul have to write so many times inviting the Philippian church into joy? Because they needed it over and over again to be reminded to come into joy. Last week, if you were here, Paul basically said, I know what it's like to be with plenty. I know what it's like to be with nothing, but I have learned what it's like to be, what it means to be content in every situation. Paul had to learn it. We're invited into this process of the joy that God calls us into. Praying, praying with thanksgiving, that kind of talks to our heart, speaks to our position, speaks to who God is, and focusing on the good things. Stepping into, not just out of, but into the wonderful things that God calls us into. And the promise is the peace of God and the God of peace will be with us. Let's pray.